0: Hi there, Shift Shapers listeners. It's that most wonderful time of the year again. We all take a break after the fourth quarter craziness, and we enjoy family, friends, and a couple of encore episodes of Shift Shapers. From all of us on the Shift Shapers team, happy holidays! How can consumerism, health, and well-being transform your client's culture, lower insurance costs, and provide a richer member experience? We'll find out on part one of this two-part episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and Chief Transformation Strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of Shift Shapers is brought to you by Benazon Healthcare Advocacy. Your clients and their employees expect more service, more responsiveness, and more help than ever before. You need to focus on building your book. How do you do both? Benazon. To learn more, go to Benazon.com or click the Benazon logo at the top of the ShiftShapersOnline.com page. On this episode of Shift Shapers, we're speaking in studio, and we don't do that an awful lot, so it's a, it's a real privilege to be able to do this person-to-person. Usually, when we record these podcasts, the person we're talking to is in some other part of the country, and we do it via the internet, but we're doing this live, which is nice. We're speaking with Mark Gagne and Jennifer Borislow about the launch of the second edition of their highly acclaimed book, Ben, The Healthcare Trend. Welcome, guys. Thanks, David. Glad to be here today. Hello. So let's go back to 2009. Let's go back to where it all began. What prompted you to write the first book? What were the conditions? What was going on at the time? Why did you think the book was necessary? The reason we wrote the book was out of a passion to tell
1: the story about how consumers can get better educated and engaged and empowered about their healthcare. If we go back all the way to the beginning for myself personally, and then I'll let Jennifer weigh in, I'm the product of uh, two healthcare entrepreneurs. My dad was a physical therapist, my mom was a nurse. And the reason I share that is because all I've ever known is healthcare. And we used to sit around the dinner table talking about is how complicated and unfriendly healthcare is to the consumer and that we really need to change the paradigm. If we wanted to fix healthcare, we had to make it about the consumer. Second thing I would say is at that time, the debate about the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, whatever word you'd like to use to describe it, was in session. And so we took an opportunity to publish the book at that point in time when they were debating the legislation. And we actually sent it to all 100 U.S. senators with a letter and the book itself to say, if you really want to reform healthcare, care, why don't you start with the principles that are outlined in this book?
2: So Mark was one of the early pioneers of health savings accounts and looking at health care differently, how the consumer can actually participate in the process and at the same time get a better understanding of what the actual cost of health care is, which today is still an inordinate challenge for somebody to really, truly understand what the actual cost of healthcare is. So our focus in writing the book was to share what we felt were the guiding principles of consumer engagement, and at the same time, allow them to see health insurance very differently. Health insurance is expensive because healthcare is expensive. And I quote that often because that's exactly what it is today. It's a very challenging topic for many people to understand and we felt that the book would highlight opportunities for them to learn to grow from it. And
1: it's okay if you use that as long as you say, it's trademarked by me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Duly noted. All, all, all trademarks apply. And this is why we don't do interviews in the studio. I did give
2: credit. i just having a little fun.
0: Now, uh, the
1: other part, David, I wanted to just add to it. I, I think the, the, the third element was that everything you see out in the public domain about consumer-driven healthcare makes it complicated for people. And it frustrated Jennifer and I to no end that something that really is not that complicated was being made to be complicated and then also shared with the American people as though it was inferior or less better health insurance. And so the drive for us was to educate our clients and our prospects that this isn't inferior insurance. It's same coverage comparability of your current managed care plan. What's different is the way things are covered as opposed to them being covered or not covered.
0: In all of your public speaking engagements, you talk an awful lot about the rulemakers. Did they make consumer driven healthcare seem complicated because they were being challenged and their status quo was being challenged? I mean, why go out of your way to make something seem complicated or inferior if it really isn't?
1: Well, I'm glad you asked the question because when you take a look at our current healthcare construct, and as you rightly noted, I do talk about the rulemakers, and there are four bodies, there are four governing bodies. There's the government itself. There's big pharma, there's big hospital systems, and their health insurance companies. And collectively, together, they created the healthcare construct you and I live in, and they administer through an opaque process called coding and billing. I believe that they have actually created uh, CDHP, at least in the early beginnings. They created it to be confusing in terms of their messaging, because it doesn't necessarily serve their interest to have people buy lower premium healthcare plans. That may sound uh, counterintuitive on the surface of things, but at the end of the day, uh, CDHP really gives
0: members and employers more control over their spend than those rule makers. And no rule maker ever wants to be controlled. They want to just make the rules. Correct.
2: There's a big myth with CDHP and combining it with a health savings account or health reimbursement account. And that myth was that it was really only for those that are young and healthy and that people that were interested in saving money in a health savings account for future use. The, The natural response to that is, well, it might make sense, but it's not the reality. It's not the people that benefit the most by a CDHP plan because it is for everybody universally across the board can really benefit by getting more engaged with their health care, making more educated decisions on how to access health care, and looking at the true cost and the quality of health care that's being delivered.
0: And we're going to talk a little bit more about both of those points in, in just a bit, but I'm curious now, fast forward. It, you st- the original book was 2009, and now as we record this, it's 2017. What's changed? Why an update now? So the reason for the update now is really twofold. Uh, the
1: first is that when we wrote the book, it was before the Affordable Care Act was put into law, and a lot has changed in the last seven to eight years uh, with regard to how the health care system is functioning, the costs associated with it. The metrics. So we had to update the book to refresh the metrics about where the market is place, where the marketplace is today. The second reason is that as we speak and as the book goes to print, the American Healthcare Act uh, has already passed the House of Representatives and now moves over to the Senate. Regardless of what happens with that legislation, the big underlying theme are the five principles that the current administration has put forward. And that is about accessibility, affordability, high quality, incenting innovation, and most importantly, empowering consumers through transparency and accountability. So we felt the timing was right with legislation that may or may not pass, but invariably something will happen, that we think it'll feature health savings accounts and health reimbursement arrangements, and that as the new administration pushes that forward, that employers are going to be looking at these types of plans. And so we thought giving an updated version of the book with new facts, new figures, new case studies, a couple new chapters would allow those employers who haven't yet availed themselves of this opportunity to take advantage of it.
2: So part of the process of reevaluating the book was to look at what was still the same and was still pertinent. And a big part of the book is still very current today. So as Mark suggested, we really looked at the case studies and made sure that they were very pertinent to today. And we updated the facts, the statistics, and, and more importantly, we refreshed the book so that it is very much speaking into today's world and today's economy.
0: And now, a word from our sponsor. Today, you're being pulled in multiple directions. Employers want you to deliver a higher level of service and employee satisfaction, and you want more time to grow your business. How do you do both? Benazon Healthcare Advocacy is the answer. Benazon helps plan members understand, utilize, and maximize their health plan and answers their benefits questions while you improve productivity, increase client retention, and grow your book. The best part about partnering with Benazon is that your agency gets all the credit. Clients see your logo, while the Benazon team of subject matter experts work to ensure resolution to specific member information and service requests. Each agency gets a dedicated telephone number and year-round, 24-7 customer support that answers the phone with your agency name. Turn your benefit on with Benazon. For more information, go to www.benazon.com or click their logo on the Shift Shapers website. Benazon. Healthcare as it should be. Now, back to our interview. Well, you know, as I read the second edition of The Galleys on the second edition, I was taken by how much hadn't changed despite the cataclysmic change that's gone on in, in the universe that's widely known as healthcare. And I think that that's a testament to the fact that the base of the principles that you guys talk about in the book really don't change. And I I want to delve into some of those, but I want to ask a question first that'll set that up, which is, so now again, we've gone from 2009 to 2017. Have we made any progress in consumerism?
1: I think the short answer to that is yes, but not enough. And what I mean by that is it's hard to promote consumerism when you still have an opaque marketplace. If you look at the principles of the book, the first principle is transparency. The second principle is opportunity and then responsibility or other way around, responsibility than opportunity. What I would say is that without a transparent environment, it's hard to have people make educated decisions because they can't see what something costs or the quality of that service before they buy it. It happens afterwards. That said, since the publishing of our first book, there have been, there's been a proliferation of discussion about transparency. One, and then two, There's been a number of organizations that have been created that are actually now delivering some form of transparency tool to the marketplace. So I would say we've made some improvement, but not nearly far enough in terms of where we need to go.
2: There's actually a lot more conversation today, and a lot of the large insurance carriers are placing emphasis on transparency and providing tools, but the utilization of these tools hasn't been as prevalent as we would want it to be.
0: So what's it going to take to move from conversation to implementation? How can we take it as an industry to the next step? How can we get that engagement that we need in transparency and in having more people act like consumers the same way they do in every other aspect of their universe, except for healthcare, which makes no sense at all?
1: So eight years ago when we published the book, there were a few million people in a consumer-driven health plan. Today, if memory serves me correctly, there are over 20 million people that own a health savings account. So the short answer to your question is the voice of the consumer is what's going to change this paradigm. And as more and more consumers are subjected to higher deductibles, subject to more responsibility with regard to how they access and purchase healthcare, the need for transparency, the call for transparency is getting louder. Legislatively, there are things we could do. In fact, I would like to see in the new American Healthcare Act a provision that specifically states and requires every state to make healthcare cost and quality transparent so people can make an educated decision before they buy. Now, do we need to wait for legislation and regulation to pass? No. It would certainly make life easier because then we would have the rules of the game that would be applicable to everybody. But in the interim, I think consumers, because of the responsibility they've been asked to accept, because of the enormous spend that every organization invests into their people with regard to health insurance – Their voices, their loud voices are really what's going to change the current
0: paradigm. But your guys' home state, Massachusetts, has such kind of a regulation on the books, don't they, about transparency? Yes. How's that worked out? It's great that we passed a law, but
1: the reality is it's the best kept secret in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. We ask our clients all the time, do you know that there's a law that we actually passed in 2012, by the way, that we're very proud of because we helped author the law, which essentially says exactly what I said a few moments ago, that Providers, insurers, have to provide us with the actual contracted cost of services before we buy them. Now, what's different about what was passed here is we put the onus of that responsibility on the health plan, where we said to the health plan, when a member calls, you have to tell them what the contracted cost of that service is. And then secondarily, you have to tell them what their out-of-pocket would be on the health plan. So the second thing the law required them to do was they actually had to create an online presence and transparency. So the carriers did that, Check the box, Check the box. What they failed to do beyond that, I don't necessarily think it was a failure, I think it was an intentional omission, was they failed to promote the fact that we actually have this law, that the people actually have the right, and that they have the capabilities, that is the carriers, to administer this law the way in which it was constructed.
2: So most of the individuals in our state that have purchased health insurance or have it through their employer are completely unaware of this law. They are still not looking at the tools that the carriers spent millions of dollars creating. And, and the numbers are completely available, but nobody knows how to access it. And they're doing, as Mark suggested, nothing really to promote it. They just check the box.
0: So is it up to benefit provider, benefit advisors, rather, to take that onus and to make sure that their customers understand that that's out there and it's a tool they can take advantage of? Yes, and
1: I think it's the benefit advisor's responsibility to share that thought process with their clients. But I also think it's incumbent upon the clients themselves and the employees who work for those clients to get engaged, to understand that there are tools and resources out there and they have a responsibility. Most people fail to understand that today's claims are tomorrow's premium. And so part of the whole job of CDHP is to let them know that healthcare doesn't cost $20. It's much more expensive than that. And that you need to be engaged in the cost of this. And by the way, even though it's more work on the front end, know that you'll save yourself money on the back end, and more importantly, probably get better quality care because you did some homework up front.
2: It's really incumbent upon the actual user, the consumer, to start asking questions to to, to challenge their physicians on what they, the procedures are that they are being asked to undergo, whether it's an MRI, whether we're duplicating tests that are already happened, whether taking a prescription, whether it's generic or name brand ask questions. And I think that as a society, as a whole, we still feel that the positions are always right. And really statistics point to the fact that as a consumer, you need to be engaged in the conversation.
0: Do you think that that's going to take a generational shift in order for it to actually sink in? Or do you think that with today's higher personal responsibility amounts and the proliferation of spending accounts where you can save the money or you can spend it and now you're using your own money, not someone else's. Do you think that will happen sooner than a generational shift?
1: I think it's already happening. I think with the advent of technology, the fact that we now have 75 million millennials, and many of them are, are coming into the workforce, I think they're just going to demand this type of energy and this type of access to information.
2: I absolutely think that the shift has already started with the a way healthcare has been, the cost of increasing. Increased from an employer level, and they've had to shift to much higher deductibles and introducing the CDHP plans. People are more engaged now of the some of the actual costs. So, unfortunately, with the rise in cost of healthcare, it's actually forcing people to now be more engaged. If I
1: could go back and revisit one thing that Jen said, and I think it's really important: the whole notion of of us living in an environment where it's actually the right thing to do to challenge our physicians. You know, When I say that, again, I grew up in a family of healthcare entrepreneurs, and I know that healthcare providers, like any professional, doesn't usually like to be challenged on their knowledge level. That being said, we all have to remember that doctors are human beings, and human beings, by definition, make mistakes. You've heard me say this before, but what what do they call the guy who graduated last in his medical school? Yeah, doctor. Correct. How do you know he's not yours? And so my point is, well, Mark, I love my doctor. Yeah, I didn't say you didn't love your doctor. How do you know on the bell-shaped curve of life, that your doctor is not in the bottom 10% or in the median 80%. You want the guy or gal who's in the top t- top 10% of their game, I would think. The question is in our generation, if we look at it generationally, our parents grew up to believe that the doctor was the be-all, end-all, knows everything because they went to school forever. Well, guess what? We now have technology that shows us that's not the case. In fact, one of the partners we work with, Best Doctors, shows us that 37% of the time people are diagnosed, it's inaccurate. And 75% of the time, even if the physician gets the diagnosis correctly, the treatment plan they're availing themselves of is not helpful to their condition.
0: The Shift Shapers Podcast is a production of Strategic Vision Publishing and David Saltzman. This podcast may not be reproduced in any form, in whole or in part, without the express written permission of the producers. All rights reserved.